This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast, where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. everybody one more episode of uh, future of finance the podcast of uh, mori blabs uh, i'm alberto corvo and uh, i am here with alex manson hey alex thank you very much for coming thank you very much for making yourself available so first things first baby obviously you are uh, the head of sc ventures but maybe you can give us a little bit about uh, your career your background and then what you do at standard chartered sure well at, at standard chartered i run sc ventures I've done a few other things in banking before this. I grew up in derivatives and structured products and then securitization, which is the time where I was fascinated by the thrill of the deal and putting things together in sort of financial engineering was fascinating to me at, at the time. Then I moved to capital markets and then later investment banking. And so I became fascinated by clients and the concept of building long-term trusted relationships with them. And then over time, perhaps coinciding with the point in time where I joined Standard Chartered, I became a lot more interested in the impact that banks have on society in the markets they operate. And that's particularly visible in our emerging markets, where it's difficult to imagine growth and prosperity without great banks doing their job. Today, the reason why I want to reinvent it all is continuing to be convinced that societies need great banks that will do their job of fostering growth and development and um, reinvention is on the critical path for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's been a bit, uh, I've been also working with banks as clients of mine throughout my career. That's been one of the fallouts of events uh, a decade or so ago that banks all of a sudden could do no right, whereas uh, they are absolutely needed and they are absolutely a key factor in creating prosperity and doing the right thing, which they have done. So, you know, with some hiccups, but uh, it's been a great privilege working with them and enabling them to do what their mission is at the end of the day. And in fact, that's one of the shifts in the, in the industry that I would notice, which is, uh, you know, going from hubris to humility. In many ways, there was a point in time where when I joined this industry, it was relatively well-contained. It was meaningful, but relatively well-contained. And uh, the belief that we could securitize anything and that capital markets were the only way to allocate scarce resources led us to, to, to really grow this industry in terms of size and profitability. You know, and that sort of hubris, which culminated in the financial crisis. And then you had a crossing of the desert, you know, self-introspection, remediation for almost a decade, which I think, you know, gave the space to more nimble, technology-savvy aggressors to sort of um, disrupt the way we're talking about it today, which again paves the way for really interesting development today, which is the rise of the platforms, where the platform business model is increasingly challenging the conventional corporation's business model. But that, that shift in banking from hubris to humility to having to reinvent yourself mm -hmm. is, is a really interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like we're in a very interesting time to be in the financial services and in banks. It's really being able to be part of it, at least for me, and I assume for you too, it's very, very interesting and very rewarding. Yeah, no, absolutely. You want to be part of it and, and you want to have a role and an impact on it. Exactly. To create here exactly. Sit yeah. at the table to do absolutely. something. Yeah. So how did you see the landscape changing? Besides the herbris to humility, what else in terms of 
services and uh, partnership with clients that have you seen over your career? One I would say is characterizes big shifts you know, across, you know, over the years is the rise of the quants. So I was, I was hard as a quant at a point in time where banking was traditionally populated with economists and lawyers. And the point is banking was becoming increasingly technical, specifically the trading floor, but you know, pretty soon the whole of banking. And accordingly, it was becoming more technology driven to the point where we talk about banking today as a technology business with a license, which might be a bit of an exaggeration, but, but certainly it has become more yeah. technical. And that's an evolution over several decades, which is a very real fact. And I think the other shift at a macro level is just the rise of emerging markets. When I joined, uh, Wall Street and the London city were the essential of capital markets. I remember repackaging the infamous Mexican Tesobonos and Brady Bonds. I experienced the Asian crisis in the late 90s. I saw China grow to become the economic giant it is today. Don't get me wrong, the US and, and Europe become remarkably important centers. But emerging markets, and specifically Asia, have grown so much that the center of gravity has shifted at this point. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I mean, I remember, I know you live in Singapore, and you're based out of Singapore, and I remember starting to go to Singapore in 95, and then what I see now in Singapore, you can tell where the future is going to be. A very different place, right? A very different place, yeah, a very yeah. different center of gravity of what's going on in the world. So talking about SC Ventures, so when you and Bill Winters decided to, to embark on this, what was the opportunity you saw? And I, I guess there's multiple opportunities that you were trying to, to fulfill, but multiple tasks. But where were the main drivers? Perhaps it's a combination of um, existential threat and opportunity in the same time. Essentially, we were convinced that reinventing ourselves was um, a sine qua non condition to being able to continue to thrive as a, as a great bank. We, we didn't want a good enough bank. We want a great bank that will thrive in decades to come and uh, contribute to prosperity in the world and specifically in our markets. So we knew that in order to do this, we had to be a lot more than incremental. We had to have a transformational impact. And what we mean with rewiring the DNA in banking was really about this transformational impact. DNA has a lot to do with culture and people way ahead of technology. And uh, banking is a reference to the fact that we really want to take the whole ecosystem with us. And it's about focusing on the banking industry, by extension, our, our own organization, but the whole ecosystem. Yeah. So, so when I think about it, you said something that's very, very interesting. Besides the rewiring the DNA in banking, it's also the part, it starts with the people. So what are the different parts of SC Ventures and how do you bring the people of the bank and the people in the ecosystem of the bank along and give them a shot of becoming part of this solution, of this rewiring of the DNA? So first, uh, working on culture means a bit of inside and outside work. So we, we were early on very convinced that if all we were doing was an innovation lab, then at some point we would be preaching, evangelizing, but we would be ultimately disconnected from the business units, if not in cultural clash with them, and the impact would be marginal. So, so just doing this would not be sufficient. And conversely, just investing in fintechs and backing ventures would also be too small or too marginal to, to matter. It would just take too long to, to really have an impact on the bank. Mm -hmm. So we became convinced that in order to influence culture, we had to work both inside the bank and outside the bank in the same time and have that flow of information and ideation and also people across inside and outside the bank. Specifically to your question on, on how do we do it internally, 
The answer is kind of one intrapreneur at a time. The intrapreneur program is essentially starts with a platform. We have 20,000 people registered on, on a platform. They register ideas in, in the course of last year, they've registered almost 2,000 ideas, which uh, resulted in some 50 dragon stands, at which point small teams are formed, which we equip with tools, coach, all the way to the point where they're in a position to pitch to senior management for funding and implementation, essentially trying to take it as far as they can. So the point is we're encouraging people to, to step forward and we're implicitly letting them know it is possible to be entrepreneurial on the platform of a large regulated organization. And then conversely, we're also teaching management to let go. That means refraining from telling people what to do and allowing them to figure it out themselves, which is not in a natural instinct for senior management in a large organization where, where conventionally you, you mitigate risk, you, you ensure it's all efficient. So, so lots of information goes up the chain of command where few people make very few you know, well-thought-through decisions which then go back down for execution. In the context of the intrapreneur program, we want to make all the information available as quickly as possible to everyone. So everyone can make a lot of decisions very quickly and iterate just as quickly. So it's a very different mindset we're playing with. It's incredibly interesting. And absolutely, it's, you want to push down the decision-making and the execution and uh, going as fast as possible. And, you know, as Facebook says, move fast and break things and then just make sure it doesn't impact the bigger picture. Have you heard of Brain Food? It's our weekly newsletter and it comes out every Sunday morning. It's packed with the best content that we come across on financial services and technology. It contains quotes, articles, events, and it showcases rising fintechs and people in our industry that inspire us. You can subscribe at motivepartners.com. One thing that I'm interested in is, I've been working right now with banks in their innovation function for, for a while now, is how do you then get the business side of the house to use what has been created? Has it been a challenge for you or by virtue of the fact that you work together with them and that it comes from them in some ways, it's an easy transition of what you create in this entrepreneurship program to be then used by the bank? It really works hand in hand. So, so it's, it's integrated by design mm -hmm. and by definition. So, so part one is, is the, the innovation team is not just innovation coaches and designers and technologists. It has a mix of, of all those skills, but also bankers and people with a reasonable understanding of what the business is, which uh, creates an interesting diversity in the team, but ensures that we're not disconnected from the rest of the organization. Then um, the people, entrepreneurs, people who step forward with ideas come from the business and end up working on their projects allowed by their business units to spend 20% of their time on their project and then end up pitching back to the business for ideas. So as it relates to the entrepreneur program, it really is integrated. Similarly, when we do, when we do proof of concept or, or engage with uh, fintech startups, you know, by definition, this is in alignment with the business units. We will facilitate a proof of concept. We will help it. We will accelerate it. In fact, having a framework for quick implementation at this stage is, is really important. We can get anybody started within a couple of weeks as long as we're not using confidential client data. But ultimately, we will only do this to the extent that a business unit is committing to implement on the back of a successful POC or else it makes very little sense. When we make investments, very similarly, we can only invest in people that we work with, which is a, a, a hard criterion designed to enforce 
that we're not just investing in things that we think are interesting and could be of potential interest to the bank, but genuinely are relevant to the bank. And the point being, we'll invest at a point in time where we want to scale something at an enterprise-wide level, which is the only way those capabilities can actually transform the bank at scale. So is it uh, correct to say that uh, you're not ready to do anything where you would not actually taste the soup, as they say? Yeah, so we've restricted ourselves to, to that scope. That's correct. Meaning we may miss out on a few things that we should be exploring, but, but if the bank isn't doing it, then we wouldn't be able to, to, to invest and, and form the same sort of partnership. But our value add as an investor is really in the context of using the technology, validating it, using the capability, and really understanding the use case. And then at the point in time where we have a narrow use case in production, the reality is that's interesting, but typically not transforming unless we can scale it to an enterprise-wide level. That requires resources on our part, a lot of hard work, essentially, which we justify with our investment. Mm -hmm. And then conversely, when we tell a management team to change their product roadmap or try and influence the strategy, we do this having aligned incentives with them and give founders a sense that we're in this together. So that is the context in which we're investing. Very, very good. And so do you involve your clients? We, we talked at the beginning about client servicing and sure. do you involve your clients in the decision making as to what technologies to use or how to, or is it something that the bank drives completely or is it shared? How does it work? I would say it depends on the technology itself. So, so the technologies or capabilities we're looking at are, are really across the spectrum from front to back office with, you know, including compliance, risk. We may or may not involve clients in, in, in the choice of these capabilities. Having said this, we engage clients all the time in the context of co-creation. We've evolved from showing the lab to doing um, workshops, to genuinely working together with clients on solving a problem, designing a product that they wanted and could be scaled to, to an entire market. And when we have numerous engagements with clients of the bank in, in, in that type of context. In ventures, we involve clients all the time. So the ventures are really built following a, a method of, of, of beginning very small, creating a prototype which gets iterated as we get feedback from clients. So, so we, you know, we use human-centered design. We use a lean startup approach. And the idea is obviously to, to aim for scale. But as we have the feedback and understand what, what clients want, which typically is the result of many iterations, you know, way more than one or two trials, and, and ending up with a proposition that is typically very different from what we started with in the first place. Fantastic. So just to make it a, a little more real for, for our listeners, would it be comfortable sharing a couple of investments that you've made or a couple of projects that you've done inside the bank so far as part of SC Ventures? Our portfolio is relatively public, and, and, and yeah, we're comfortable sharing it because, you know, part of the point is, is to advocate those capabilities for the industry. Early on, we were we were an investor in, in Ripple, which is a cross you know cross border payment company powered you know with a distributed ledger protocol, which has gone from strength to strength since we made that investment, and they have uh, very exciting times right now. We've invested in Paxada, which is a data extraction preparation platform, essentially making data available to those who need it. You can think of it as democratization of data, which when you think of, of, of one of the challenges we have in, in banks using data is the fact that it is all over the place and fragmented and, uh, and, and difficult to get hold of. That was a very important capability, which we've started using in the context of our stress test, for example. 
Recently, we've invested in Symphony, which is a collaboration tool across the bank, which you know, you'll be familiar with. We participated in the last round. We also use Symphony internally at this point. And we made a, another investment in a company called SoulCash, which in the days of digitization is perhaps a little counterintuitive that we're focusing on cash. But the reality is the usage of cash is increasing. In a lot of our markets, people do need cash. And in the context of um, digital banks with increasingly less branches and less ATMs, we had to come up with a way to bridge the world of cash and the world of digital banking. So cash enables us to spend cash at retail outlets, for example. So th this is the type of capability across, as I said, across front, middle and back office and throughout geographies that we're investing into. And I think that it's interesting when you talk about these different investments that you make, because it gives us an idea is where do you see Standard Charter being a few years from now. So maybe again, for whatever you can say and you're comfortable saying, where do you see banks in general and Standard Charter specifically being a few years from now? Like the comment that you made about cash, I thought it was really illuminating because a lot of people are talking about the demise of cash and having been in emerging markets for a long time as you've been, you know, we're not, not as, so exactly, not we're not so clear that that's where it's going. So, yeah. so I'd be interested in what other points that you see three, five years from now for the bank and, and for the industry in general. So beyond cash, let, let me make a few, a few specific points on Standard Chartered. I think there's traits in the DNA of the organization that are quite unique. First is the footprint in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East which uh, implies a huge amount of diversity in our staff, clients, stakeholders, and that makes us very different from everybody else. And then the second aspect that I'd mentioned is something that characterizes a bit of a pioneering spirit, which may have been less palpable in the last few years of remediation, but is actually deeply anchored in the ranks and in the culture of the bank. Those two traits will remain, and they're formidable strength that we can build on. Apart from this, it is pretty clear for us and for the rest of banking that the vast majority of how we make a living today may not work in the future. And the vast majority of how we'll make a living later does not exist in banking today. So we will need to come up with those future revenue streams. We mentioned platforms earlier. I think a really fascinating evolution is the rise of platforms, challenging business model of corporations. Will the banks become platforms? Will they plug into other people's platforms? Don't really know, don't have a crystal ball. My guess is it will be a bit of both, depending on the market, depending on the product, depending on the clients. But that modus operandi will somehow be put in place. And that's a lot of what we're experimenting with in the context of ventures. Very, very interesting. And I agree, a lot of things that will happen, we haven't seen yet. And that's probably the, the challenge and the interest of what you're doing. And perhaps another prediction on the positive side, I think, is uh, that the financial industry in the next few years will somehow have cracked financial inclusion, both in the context of individuals and SMEs, which is a really important part of uh, growth in our markets. Yeah, having been here at Motive for, for the past few years, that's probably been the most interesting part of what I've seen. Having worked with banks from Brazil to Asia to Africa, it's really how important SME is and uh, being able to nurture them and giving them tools to be able to lose the S and become more M enterprises has been the most interesting thing. And going from providing pure banking services to providing advice. And escape the forgotten middle for, for, for SMEs. So, so this is a driver of growth and it's a really important societal objective. We as banks are seen primarily as a financier 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot more we can do in enabling growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. The days of just landing, I think, are gone. So, Alex, well, you have had a phenomenal career in banks and financial institutions. Would you mind sharing a couple of very valuable lessons that you have learned over these years that could be interesting? Keep learning every day, you know, especially these days. But uh, almost a platitude change. We always underestimate it. What is a balanced deal today is a great deal for one party, a terrible one for the other only a year later. So as usual, the only thing I know with certainty is that the world will have changed again a lot more and a lot quicker than we all think in a short period of time. I think um, there's uh, something about time and the fact time is the real scarce commodity. Not capital, not even people. We're all replaceable, but time is a scarce commodity. In, in hindsight, in every job I've had, I wish I'd done things a lot faster. And then the last one is, is something about people and, and how human beings are connected and do things for each other. The same way soldiers in trenches or in the jungle fight less for the nation and their leaders and they fight for each other, teams in a corporate perform at their best when team members work their ass off not to let each other down. Wow. Truly inspiring, Alex. And, uh, you know, I'd like to close on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think it's a great thought to close on. Thank you very, very much. Goodbye to our listeners. And and, and thank you, Motive Partners and Alberto specifically for all the work we're doing. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or a solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording. Reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and projections about the financial industry, the economy, motive partners, or motive partners' investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax, or other professional advice, or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.